Are you looking for online courses with a Christian classical approach? Would your student benefit from small, intimate classes with personal, private feedback on their work? Circe Online Courses offer classes in classical composition and literature, logic, Latin, and loving the lovely. All classes are taught by Circe Apprenticeship trained, experienced, and dedicated classical educators. Teachers use a classical approach to instruction and weekly assessment that focuses on mastery. We never grade with machines. Instead, we focus on each child as a unique person. Above all, with a focus on cultivating the soul of the student, we are dedicated to helping you cultivate wisdom and virtue in your children. A complete list of classes can be found at Courses for Students under training at searcyinstitute.org. Sign up today for the 2023-2024 school year. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm joined again by Matt Bianco and Andrew Lipinski. How are y'all today? Great. Hairless. Uh, hairless. <laughs> yeah. So, so no change there. It's good to know. Um, I'll try to send you a different miracle cure next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are uh, back with the Epic of Gilgamesh, books five through seven this week. Um, so uh, we left on a little bit of a cliffhanger as they stared into the forest of Lebanon, scared, scared last time, um, but being urged by the God or depending on which tablet they went off of, uh, Gilgamesh being urged by Indiku, which is interesting difference. But uh, I will start us off uh, with a little bit of a narration to, uh, where we pick up with that story. So uh, they're staring into the forest of Lebanon, the cedar forest. Oh, wait. It just says the cedar forest, but we've established that it's Lebanon. And they do get Lebanon in, the, in these te- in these chapters. So, um, which is the forest of the gods, apparently. And this guy's Humbaba is there to protect it, uh, thanks to one of the gods. Um, they go in, axes and knives, um, following the trail. He's kind of, I guess, the swath. He's crushed through the trees with his, with his giant body. Um, they get to finally they get to kind of his lair um well actually indiku freezes up now and gilgamesh says no let's get come on i need you to come with me and then they get to the lair and then gilgamesh uh has to encourage him again um and then they kind of get uh humbaba kind of harangues them from his from his lair like what are you doing here i'll tear you to pieces uh, young, he calls Gilgamesh a young man. He calls, he says, and Dika could have killed you a long time ago, but you're too scrawny to make a good meal. All these kind of things. Um, and, and here, then Gilgamesh freezes up and, um, and Deku has to urge him on. So they keep kind of going back and forth, being the one that, that needs encouragement. Um, uh, and then ultimately they, they engage Mbaba in the battle. They are, they have him. And uh, well, they get help from from the goddess, the god Shamash, and Gilgamesh has him pinned. He pleads for his life and offers all kind of things to to Gilgamesh. We can come back to that. And it's now it's uh, Indiku is saying, "Hey, don't, stop listening to him. Kill him. Stop listening to him. Kill him." Um, and then he, so he finally does uh, kill him uh, with his axe. Um, and then they start chopping down the. the biggest trees in the forest and decide to make a giant, giant door for one of the gods temples and float it down the river. 
and that's uh, where we kind of end uh, book five. They had their float, uh, and Duke was floating down the river with the with the lumber, and uh, Gilgamesh is carrying Humbaba's head. Um, when they get back to Uruk, uh, Gilgamesh washes. It's kind of a ceremonial. He kind of washes himself, clean, puts on new clothes, um, and he catches the eye of the goddess Ishtar. Um, and he wants him to be her husband. She's apparently had lots of husbands though, and Gilgamesh isn't isn't down with this with this trend. Um, she's had husbands of both the man and beast variety. So, which I thought was that was a new one for me, at least in in among the ancient uh, gods. So she's at one time the lion, one time the stallion, different different men. Um, but it all it goes bad for all of them, and Gilgamesh reminds her of all this and says, why would I want to be the next in line for ending up poorly? She, her feelings are hurt. She runs home. Uh, I'm uh, to mom and dad, Anu and uh, Anata. Their names are similar. Uh, Asked her dad for the bull of heaven to go punish, to go punish Gilgamesh with it. Um, he gives it. Uh, even though it's going to cause famine in the land of Uruk if it's let loose. Um, goes down. It causes the water to start drying up. People are, people are dropping dead. And Dooku falls into the, one of the pits. But they grab the bull. And between the two of them, they're man- they manage to to kill the bull of heaven. So then she's even more, Ishtar's even more upset because he killed his own punishment, she says. <laughs> um, they laugh at her. They kind of taunt her a little bit. Um they make some make some things for the shrine out of the bull's body um, and and offer up some of the bull for sacrifices. Um, and then we're into book eight, where uh, whoa. And, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. so sorry. At the end of book seven, well, at the end of book six, something happens to prepare six, us. I mean, for sorry, at, at the end of book six, um, he has a Enduku has a terrible dream and wakes up. Sorry. And then he goes into explaining his dreams in, in book seven. Thank you. Um, I was jumping the gun into the dreams. He has two or three dreams he tells Gilgamesh about um, in which he is going to uh, receive the wrath of the gods for what they've done to Humbaba and to the bull of heaven. Um Gilgamesh tells him not to worry about it. Maybe he's misinterpreting the dreams. He's going to do things uh, to help. Like one of those things is create a gold statue of him that I guess helps you get better. Um, uh, but uh, but eventually, toward the end of the book, uh, or toward the end of that, that book, Indiku is falling ill and is ill for days and days and days. Um, and we kind of end on another another cliffhanger with Nduku um, making the death rattle sounds and Gilgamesh um, moaning, um, and and hoping that he's not going to be taken away from him. So maybe Andrea's uh, instincts last week were on, but we don't know for sure. We won't know for sure until next week, apparently. But it does look like Indiku is is going to bear is bearing the brunt so far of the of the god's wrath for the actions they took together. How'd I do? Any major points left out? 87. 87. All right. Sweet. 
always wanted to be a solid B student. So here we go. It's a good one. Yeah, this was this was an interesting thing. I, I started marking things that are like challenges they have to face, you know, the killing of Humbaba and the killing of the bull. And then I went back and marked turning down the goddess as like one of the, you know, one of his trials he overcame. I was like, oh, I'll count that for on Gilgamesh tally sheet. So yeah, she's an interesting one. So a lot of um parallels to the the Greek epics and scripture. Yeah, tons. In this passage. Um obviously Humbaba's haranguing reads very much like something Hector would say to Patroclus or Achilles would say to Hector or whatever, you know, any of the heroes, right? The kind of taunting that they do. Um that was that was pretty straightforward. I mean, a pretty, pretty straightforward favorite parallel, I think. And then um, Ishtar's, Ishtar's being rejected or being critiqued or whatever you want to say. And then running off to daddy to complain. And then daddy not actually taking her side completely. <laughs> it's very reminiscent of Aphrodite going to Zeus in the Iliad and complaining about the way she's been treated on the battlefield. And then Zeus saying, yeah, well, maybe you shouldn't have been there kind of thing, you know. Um, the, the biblical one was a little bit more interesting to me because it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it takes a little, you have to read a little bit more closely, but it, in the beginning of book six, it says, when he returned to Great Walled Uruk, Gilgamesh bathed. The goddess, I'm dropping down now, the goddess Ishtar caught sight of him. Her heart was smitten. And it reminded me very much of David and Bathsheba, right? But oh, it's nice. Fit, yeah. Right? It's yeah. inversed. Gender. So you get this, uh, you get this, this reversal. And then Gilgamesh in the role of Bathsheba actually rejects mm-hmm. Ishtar in the role of David. And it turns out the worst for him. Um because then it becomes, you know, then they, then he has to fight the bull of heaven and Enkidu dies because of it, or is we don't know if he dies, but he gets sick because he gets smitten. Although all the evidence is pointing in favor of his death here, right? Um, the dreams and everything he says he's going to die. So you have, you have the whole him dying thing, which of course Bathsheba doesn't forcefully reject David Mm-hmm. But then her husband still dies, right? And their child. And the child, yeah. Two deaths. I mean, and I like the line when Ish is it Ishtar? Yeah. When she says at the at the end of her long speech to him, come here, be my sweet man. His first line of response is, Your price is too high. Yeah. Mm. And yet he's gonna pay with Enkidu. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the cost of rejection is perhaps higher. He doesn't realize it. Good point. Ouch. Yeah. I so wonder did, if the um, if the Mesopotamian gods had the whole like oath by the river sticks thing, like the Greeks mm-hmm. have, or if he could have made her swear an oath of faithfulness, right? right. For uh, or whatever you know that he would have. Huh. Yeah, I mean, because he walks her through six people. I think it's six. It might be five. 
Yeah, I think that might be five. No, it's six. Um, you love so and so, then you changed. You you know you love the bird, then you changed. You love the lion, then you changed. You love the stallion, then you changed. You love the shepherd, then you changed. You love the gardener. Um, yeah. Then you changed. But before she, she, he says that last, then you changed. In the middle, he says, why should I eat this rotten meal of yours? What can you offer me but the bread of dishonor, the beer of shame, and the thin reeds as covers when the cold wind blows? So I, th- I think that's the words of the... Oh, that's a quote. Yeah, he, it's the shepherd who tried to tried to reject her also, but then ultimately yeah. gave in. Like, someone else basically asked the same question, and then she won him mm-hmm. over, and he still ends up getting... Then you, know, you changed. Um, you turned him into a toad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned that one into a toad. And so then... Yeah, there was just so, like... It's so funny, I didn't see that David and Bathsheba thing didn't jump to mind. Um, but there's so many like things in here, like in, in book five, a three ply rope is not easily broken. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. What? Yeah, right? it's like the end of Ecclesiastes four. And I was like, that, that was it nine through 12. And, uh, and I was like, okay, so obviously I don't have the timeline in my head very well. And when these things would have been written down, but I think this is before Solomon's writing Ecclesiastes. And so is that just like an ancient wisdom saying, right? That three core, like just, you know, um, and, and then, so Solomon's later applying it to two people. And then usually with the way we talk, the way we interpret that, that whole pit, that whole passage is talking about two people in Ecclesiastes and it ends with that three chord thing. And we usually apply that to like two people and, and God, right? Uh, oftentimes you hear it that way or using like marriage, marriage, um, marriage homilies or sermons or whatever that the, the third strand is God. Right. Um, so it just fascinated me. I was like, Whoa, this must have, maybe this was like a, an ancient saying, right. That just was in, in the, the, the near East, um, that Solomon is just not coming up with, but playing off of basically something that was already a thing that was said. Mm. My understanding is at the time they saw water as utter chaos. It was uncontrollable. It was feared, um, you know, so, uh, but yet they fished, they started to sail. Mm -hmm. And I think they would have very much felt the difference of ropes to hold your boat and to hold your sails. Yeah. Yeah. Two boats last together will never sink. That's interesting. I haven't heard it quite that way. That's interesting. Um, and so knowing that water was seen as something scary and land was safe, um, whatever helped them stay safe on water, I think would very much make an impression. Mm-hmm. And they would have figured that out, you know, like, oh, I lost a boat, <laughs> I lost another boat with just a single ply rope. Right. Mm-hmm. I wonder... Um... <clears throat> I wonder how much the uh, numbers play into all of this, right? It's two boats. It's three three ply cord. Yeah. Um, the uh, the repetition of of the stuff that that is coming out in the story. Um, yep. So she had six lovers before him. He would have been lover number seven. Yeah. Does that mean something? Like, would she have been? Uh, is, would his fate with her have been different? 
Because she, he was the seventh, she would have rested with him? Hmm. Or was she? I mean, I know I, I recognize that's a Judeo Christian kind of a biblical concept, but is it a concept that's actually built? I mean, it should therefore be a concept that's built into the fabric of reality. So it seems like all of the, you know, all people everywhere would have felt something about sevenness, but I don't know. Hmm. We all need to get our seventh spouse. Is that what you're saying, Matt? Well, <laughs> Well, it's, goddesses do apparently. Oh, okay, okay. Phew. It's not—it's not the only seven that shows up in this era either. Like, well, right before this one, they mention about Humbaba. He has seven auras. Like, he only has one of them on right now. So you'll be able to yeah. get him whenever the god nudges him forward. Hmm. And I was—I wasn't sure when he started putting when he starts talking about him having thousands of faces. If he—if that's his auras, kind of, he's putting on more of his auras. But then, but then we get to set. The prediction of seven years of famine if the bull is loose in Uruk, yeah. right? Which A is another seven, but also is seven years of famine. And she, <laughs> not, not just anything. And before he says yes and gives her the bull, the father asks, Have you stored up seven years of grain for the people? He, right. Ishtar, have you provided them to get through the famine? I'm not going to let you just ruin Uruk because you don't like Gilgamesh kind of thing, which Ooh. was just blowing my mind a little bit because, again, the timeline is interesting, but if we're moving outside of Kronos time and into Kairos time, the echoes in the echoes in Gilgamesh or the whatever the whatever whatever a pre pre echo is called. I don't know. But, a pre echo, yeah, yeah, foreshadowing, I guess, for calling. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because that obviously is pointing towards you know what ends up in the exodus but you know the israelites going down into mm -hmm. egypt you know, the sevens again interesting well after the sevens then um ishtar says when the bull oh no that's the end so anu hands her the bull she drops it down when the bull snorted the earth cracked open and a hundred warriors fell in and died it snorted again, the earth cracked open, and 200 warriors fell in and died. Um, when it snorted a third time, the earth cracked open, and Enkidu fell in. So we go from 100 mm. to 200 to one man, one important man. So I find it interesting, like the, you know, with uh, Humbaba having a thousand faces, the 100, the 200, like there's something different when we just use these large numbers than when we're at two and three and seven. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know that it's exactly a hundred. It feels like it's just, you know, a large quantity and a larger quantity. Right, right. And, a, and then like the man, Enkidu. But I don't know. And the lapis lazuli coming back in. We open up saying that the box with all of the story is inside of lapis lazuli. Which oh, is that's right. Yeah. A blue stone. It's not a precious stone, but it's a. I don't know what category it then falls in. You know, it's not the clear kind. It's a solid opaque stone. Yeah. And she offers, that's the bull's horns are made out of that. And that's what she offers. Part of what she offers him is, is the chariot made out of so Something's made out of that that she offers him. Yeah. Um, I think it's part of the chariot or something. Yeah. The chariot. It's a, a chariot of lapis lazuli. Okay. Yeah. Golden wheels and guide horns of amber. Yeah. So we're, we're playing with that one as well, right? Because she offers it, he rejects it. 
but then he turns mm-hmm. the horns into that. Oh, right. Yeah. Her, um, her offer is, is, uh, in, in the Iliad, well, in the, the pre Iliad backstory stuff that people pull into the Iliad, but the judgment of Paris, right. The, the three goddesses offer him, um, see Aphrodite offers his, offers him any woman he wants for his bride, right? The most beautiful woman. And then what is um Hera Hera offer? Uh shoot. Lands, power. right? Like, like a yeah, like a kingdom. Power over a kingdom. Power, yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh which probably would have been Troy. I don't know. <laughs> and then um Athena offers him wisdom in battle, wisdom. And so she she offers him wealth, I guess power over a kingdom, maybe. Then Solomon gets offered any wish. And he asks for wisdom, but then he gets wealth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some of which is included in this list. Hmm. Well, not really, not specifically, but the kinds of things. Well, his 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 flocks will be like doubly fruitful. You know, like mm-hmm. he's gonna they'll have twins and triplets instead of you know every time that when they give birth, and so there's, and then obviously the the things she's that the cherries made out of are all precious stones and precious metals. It's interesting team to me you bring that up, Matt, because Gilgamesh. Uh, appears to to just dis- display the wisdom right in in turning her down mm-hmm. he and he goes into what like he explains why mm-hmm. so it's interesting that he um he doesn't necessarily choose wisdom as a as a as a gift but he he exercises wisdom so he chooses he has, wisdom in, yeah but he has dominion right that's mm-hmm. what Hera offers is dominion over kingdoms he has a dominion already he's not because all the wise well he did he used to he did right (laughs) Hmm. i wonder if she would have been more enticing if she'd offered something other than just wealth Hmm. such riches are far beyond my means yeah i mean i mean she she likens her to a lover to be the lover of a broken oven that fails in the cold a flimsy door that the wind blows through a palace that falls on its staunchest defenders a mouse that gnaws through its thin reed shelter right it's destroying itself that one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? They, these there are things that fail themselves tar that blackens the workman's hands a water skin that is full of holes and leaks all over its bearer a piece of limestone that crumbles and undermines a solid stone wall right these are all things that ruin themselves that's what she is. Hmm. Yeah. But about the means, he says, how can I ever repay you for like that? That. Oh, right. Right. So like, how could he, um, I mean, he lists things like perfumes and jewels, but I say in retros, but he, I think, I think what he's really saying there is, uh, how can I ever live up to that? Right. You've had all these other lovers that you got bored with or whatever to, over time. It's interesting. What's that? She never had a king. Never had a king. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing she doesn't that she doesn't offer him is is fidelity, right? Mm. Like, mm. take me as your wife, and I will be 
true to you forever right Um, doesn't offer that because i mean and that's his question so he says why would i do this but then he says which of your husbands did you love forever right which could satisfy your endless desires yeah because for a lot of ancient mythology just being offered to like just being able to marry a, a god or goddess is like reward in itself right it's it's uh, and then not even marry in some cases, just uh, have the child of or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Netflix and chill. Yeah, yeah Netflix and chill. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I think I'm thinking specifically of, of in the Odyssey, right? When he goes when he goes to the underworld and the heroes are and are often children of a god and women. But the women are also held in high regard in by 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 Odysseus in Hades, right? They're they're highly honored because they gave birth to these heroes, right? These, these great men. And, but that, that, like that, she seems to have to be offering him more than just that, that honor, if that makes sense. Um, although you get, you get, you know, uh, uh, what's her name offering Odysseus that he can live, he can be young forever. And all the, you know, there is that kind of stuff that comes along with that. But in that case, Odysseus is being offered something like lifetime, right? husband for life and you'll be forever young and forever you'll be like a god and she doesn't yeah. offer that to gilgamesh right she, gilgamesh doesn't get that kind of fidelity offer which is an interesting difference do you want to know what she offers him in mason sure oh yeah the other, the other translation or maybe even another not story. um well i'll just let you guys decide what it is <laughs> In the morning when they had bathed and were preparing to return to Uruk, Ishtar came, their city's patroness, goddess of love and fruitfulness and war. She brought to Gilgamesh his royal robes and crown and hinted that the gods had grieved Humbaba's loss. Hmm. Why should you be chosen as the one they blame? She said in her coyness. I might persuade my father Anu to relent if you marry me. That is the way your kingdom will know peace. Gilgamesh shook off what were to him unwanted dreams. What would I gain by taking you as wife? Love, she said, and peace. And then he goes through the whole rant, right? Just as you loved the lion and gave him pits to fall in, and the Mm -hmm. horse whose back you wounded with the whip, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. He responds the same way. And then it just says... He subsided in his insult and turned away to his friend Enkidu. She stuttered. She was so enraged and flew to the protection of her father. And then she'd ask for the bull. But there she offers him peace and uh, forgiveness or uh, love. Love. She's offering him protection. The gods won't punish him for what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know, because it says, why should you be chosen as the one they blame? She said in her coyness, I don't know, coyness there probably just means like flirtiness or something. I don't know, like mysteryness. I don't know. But I wonder if she's saying, if she's trying to make him think, I'll make sure nothing happens to you. But she really means I'll make sure nothing happens to you. Yeah, and yeah. do is going to be punished anyways, right? It's all right. Like that's part of the trick, the lie. I don't know. Yeah, the punishment is coming down on somebody, but I'll keep it off of you. Hmm. But it is clearer. I mean, clear, at least in this section, it's clearer in that book 
that somebody's going to be punished. Yeah, the gods aren't pleased with this. Yeah, I th- I think the thing that throws me though is that the whole thing seems to like when you're when I'm reading it, I read it like the thing that needs to be punished is his treatment of Ishtar. Oh, by the time we get to book seven, yeah. But then in book seven, it says, like, like specifically this line, it says, "Well, you know, Enkidu laughs at her and taunts her, flings a thigh, the thigh, the bull's thighs in her face, and then he says, if I could, if only I could catch you, this is what I would do to you. I would rip you apart and drape the bull's guts over your arms." Um. But then it says, "Book seven, of, no six, book six. Oh, okay. book six." And it says, "Gilgamesh said to his singing girls, tell me who is the handsomest of men. Tell me who is the bravest of heroes.'" And then they reply, "Gilgamesh, he is the handsomest of men. Enkidu, he is the bravest of heroes. We are the victors who, in our fury, flung the bull's thigh in Ishtar's face, and now in the streets, she has no one." To avenge her. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty uh, cruel song mm-hmm. to sing in the face of a goddess who's been doubly wounded. Pride. Her pride's been doubly wounded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if if Enkidu's dream about the council at the Book of Seven is in fact what actually happens at the council, uh, I mean, the dreams do tend to be pretty prophetic so far in this book right mm-hmm. um it anu says they have slaughtered the bull of heaven and killed humbaba therefore one of the two must die he says that in book six book seven the beginning of book seven does he also say it in book six no you're saying in the dream there's a council of gods right and anu says they have slaughtered the bull of heaven and killed Humbaba, watchman of the cedar forest. Therefore, one of the two must die. Mm. Yeah, that's when when Enkidu is telling the the dream back. Counting his dream back. Yeah. Okay. It's, he, I thought you meant he sent it actually, but he said it said it in Enkidu's dream. I'm mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Then Elil so, said to him, "Endiku, not Gilgamesh, is the one who must die." Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, Elil says that. Who and it's. That's the guy who put Humbaba there to begin with. To protect yeah. the forest. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm reading it right, if it seems like Shamash is the one who sent him, is the guy who sent them to take to kill Humbaba and the one who urges right. him on, and the one that ultimately helps him by kind of freezing Humbaba up. Mm-hmm. I, I am struggling to like figure out the hierarchy of the gods. Like I think Anu's the top, which but you know. Yeah. Are 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 Enlil and and Shamash like uh kind of like Hades and Poseidon like they're like the next tier they they don't get along like they're just like at, at odds with each other you know? mm-hmm. or or like Hera and uh, uh, Venus you know sometimes it's gotta be it's gotta be Enkidu because Gilgamesh is favored not because Enkidu is guiltier right mm-hmm. Enkidu doesn't even want to go Gilgamesh makes him. Yep. And then the, the only thing that Enkidu does is is give courage to Gilgamesh and aid him, assist him. 
when to not do so would lead to Gilgamesh's death at the hands of Fumbaba, right? And that's the only time that Enkidu urges action on Gilgamesh's part in any way. Um, really. Well, Enkidu tells him three times, don't listen to Humbaba. Humbaba tries to persuade him three different ways to not kill him. And Enkidu verbally tells him, don't listen to that, don't listen to that, don't listen to that, kill him now. Mm-hmm. And after the third third one, he does it. Gilgamesh does it. Yeah, so yeah. that's Enkidu's role. In Mason, it says that he's pitiful or that, that that they pity him. When they see him, his form is so monstrous that they pity him. Humbaba, okay, and they and they freeze in their pity, Hmm. but when they they freeze long enough to observe closely enough that he's pityless. So at first, Mm -hmm. but then you first reaction he looks so awful, huh? Yeah, but then he actually acts awful, so the pity goes. Yeah, so the the pity is like like they actually feel bad, like the gods have mistreated him. For a second, you know, yeah. and then, and then that—that's what they come out of. I don't think there's any reference to—I don't remember any reference to him trying to persuade them. It just says um, his shoulders, like a porter's, under building stones, were permanently bent by what he bore. He was the slave who did the work for gods, but whom the gods would never notice. Monstrous in his contortion, he aroused the two almost to pity. But pity was the thing that might have killed. It made them pause just long enough to show how pitiless he was to them. Mm. And, then, and then, yeah, then the next line is Gilgamesh, in horror, saw Humbaba strike the back of Enkidu and beat him to the ground until mm. he thought his friend was crushed to death. So Humbaba strikes first. <laughs> um, his friend. Yeah, Not and then him. that's what makes him attack, so... First. I mean, that's what my 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 grandfather always said about World War II. He didn't fight for himself. He fought for the man to his left and to his right. Mm. And so here's Gilgamesh. He wasn't attacked first. His friend was. Now he's ready to fight. Yeah. Hello, everyone. I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor for this month, the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. The Honors College brings the good, the true, and the beautiful to the next generation of leaders. With this great books-based program, the Honors College enlightens and challenges young minds, while also preparing them for a fruitful life. Students can major in the great books, or choose a professional major founded on those classic texts. With SCOLA, its summer high school program in July, high school students get a taste of the experience, combined with the great outdoors, fun, and friendship. Discover the world through a critical eye on this all-encompassing journey. The Honors College at Belmont Abbey, a life well-lived awaits. Visit them at www.bac.edu backslash honors. Yeah, so Enkidu doesn't seem to be guilty of anything except for some smack talk to Ishtar at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, and throwing thigh bones in her face, but or thighs in her face. It, so it's, he, why are they picking him to die? It's got to be because they just kill him as their favorite, right? Well, or is that what he was created for? Ouch. I, I thought he was created to balance Gilgamesh. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if it's more than just being favored that, that, um, cause Gilgamesh is, I mean, in our terminology, he's basically a, a demigod essentially, right? He's, he's part divine, but Ndiku isn't. So it's not just that he's favored. He's, he's somewhat of their class, right? Of their, 
So maybe the, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know where those lines are, right? Like you get that with, with Hercules too in the Greek myths where he's sent to do various things by various gods. And sometimes it ticks off another God or another person, but he's, but he's demigod. And so there's, there's different rules, right. That apply about what the gods can and can't do to uh, the God who gets ticked off can and can't do to him. Um, and in this case, he seemed to have the blessing of Shamash, right. Uh, to, to do what he did. And so if someone's got to pay because Enlil is upset about it, it's going to not be him. It's going to be the one who is a beast man, not a, not a God man. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of the, of the Sarpedon incident in the Iliad where Zeus has Zeus, Zeus's son Sarpedon is going to die, but he has to let him die in order for Achilles to get the, the honor. Mm. And so he, he chooses Achilles over his own son because he, I, well, I don't know, because he has to, because he wanted to, because he liked Achilles better, because he made a promise. I don't know, but hmm. the the ways of the gods are <laughs> mysterious. God moves in mysterious ways. So do the pagan gods, apparently. But if we go back to what you said, Matt, that you said, well, I thought Enkidu was here to balance Gilgamesh. Could death be a part of that? It it alters our courses. Hmm. Right? Like when my mom died and when I was 24, it very much altered my course. I changed a lot of life decisions, not having a mom, and I never had a dad. Um and so, you know, I think about my seventh grade class doing literature with them at the end of the year. We're just pondering all the books we had read, all the people we had met. Um what stands out? And at the end of pondering for two weeks together, one of my students, I see the light bulb go off and she says, I'm Mrs. Lipinski. I think faith flourishes in suffering. So is that just a part? What? Faith, faith flourishes in suffering. So is that a, a, could this be a part of what balances Gilgamesh? Yeah. It's a good question. It's interesting because Incubus. Let's we'll come back to it. <laughs> it is a good question. Is uh, Incubus created right as an answer to the the outcries of the people of Uruk? Um, because Gilgamesh is acting like a tyrant, right? But since he's shown up, they've gone and take taken out this Humbaba who terrorized men who came near the forest, and. I mean, they brought it on them. I mean, I guess Gilgamesh kind of brought it on himself, but but the killing of the bull is also a, is is also in protection. Of, it also protects Uruk, right? That from the famine that would have come if he'd been allowed to to rampage. And um, so it's interesting to me that the things they've the the adventures they've done together, or whatever it is, the the challenges they've faced together, um, do serve the people of Uruk. Which is what? Which is who called out and asked for Indiku? So I don't know if that's a balancing. If it's a, it's it's turning Gilgamesh's energies away from tyrannizing the people, at the very least, at least so far. Well, was Humbaba a a tyrant, a, a menace to the people of Uruk? It said men who came near the forest. So I don't know, and and it's a and the wood there is. 
obviously coveted, right? It's like the best wood. Right, but it took um, them how many days to get there? It took them a lot less days than a normal man to get there. Sure, yeah. So they yeah. would have been so, far from their land, it seems. So maybe not, maybe not rakites, but just men mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, that that to me just it still seems odd to me that he was sent to take care of Humbaba, and mm. how that as a part of his dominion, like was that out of his dominion? I don't. That part still doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, when he gets the wood, he sends it. He, I mean, after he clears Humbaba, he takes all that wood and sends it back to Uruk uh, on a river. That, so it's apparently it's connected by water. Yeah. Um, and and his plan is to build temples, right? For and temple gates, right? For the gods. So I wonder if um, if that was part of it, part of the problem, right? That it's not the not just that he harassed and harangued like you know men who came near, but he prevented those woods from being used for glory you know for the glory of the gods the glory of the men right for worship Mm. yeah and probably for all men everywhere like the the cedar forest were probably famous enough that people from all over were trying to get go there and you know build temples with it yeah it's interesting that's that's what humbaba offers him right when he's pleading for his life is timbers to build a temple for the god and a palace for himself which is exactly what solomon uses the wood from lebanon to build in in the old testament um so these are like i think i looked up it's like called it was even sometimes called like the the forest of the gods or the god's forest like um because of how big these cedars were they were kind of coveted all over all over the ancient world for their for as timber i i still think they wouldn't have gotten so big if humbaba hadn't protected them for so many years (laughs) down a lot sooner they wouldn't have been what they were without i just I think that actually happens, Andrew. I think um, I, I was I read something up on it last week, and of course now I can't remember exactly the details. But I think the the forest eventually gets wiped out, and then they've been trying to replenish it. Oh yeah, it's pretty small now. Yeah. Like it, it used to cover the the entirety of like Mount Lebanon and the surrounding area. Like it was the the whole mountain was the forest, and it's pretty it's pretty small. It's and it's very protected now, like in like by whatever environmental groups in Lebanon or yeah. government. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of Lord of the Rings and Gollum's role, right? Because Frodo pitied him and Sam didn't. Sam wanted him out. Um, And yet he played a role in being able to end that evil rule, right? That that he was needed. He was actually necessary, much like Humbaba was, so that these trees would get to the, the glorious heights that they reached. Hmm. You know, you don't have to agree with me. I'm not sure I accept your interpretation of Lord of the Rings. Mm. <laughs> That's okay. I don't know if I would say it was ne- he was necessary. I just say that he did it, but I don't. We, I don't think we know what would Frodo would have done if Gollum hadn't done what he done. Right. We don't know, but yeah. he chose to keep him all along when Sam didn't want to keep him around. Which didn't seem fitting as you as you read, right? It didn't seem fitting. Right. It didn't seem fitting for Frodo to disagree with Sam in that way, yeah. Right. It still does it to me, but Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I don't I'm just know. Thinking it's another story of two friends. 
Yeah. That needed each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, he has the two. So Indiku has the two dreams, right? He has that first one where it's the council talking about it. Like his description, of that one's pretty short. And then the other one is like, uh, more like he's actually under attack, right? The, the, um, it's kind of more, it's in one sense vaguer, but, but more detail. There's maybe it gives more detail. Like he's in this kind of place of darkness and storm and, and he's under attack by some beast, um, and calls out and there's no one to help. And it ends up in the underworld. Um, interestingly, his description of the underworld is similar, similar again to some of the things we see in Greek descriptions, right? Where the great, the greatest men are shadows and, um, no, there's not much difference between them. Uh, and so. But I don't know. There's elements here that are really new to me, like the, the building a gold statue to help cure his illness. Um, things like that, but. What, well, can what we go we, back into that, the second dream where he yeah. goes into the underworld? I gonna, yeah. I was about to say, what do we make of his, of his dreams? Like what, like the kind of things that are in these prophecies. So I found it interesting there when you're saying it's similar to what we've seen. Is there, is there a similarity here that I'm, I'm not seeing? Um, they are dressed in feathered garments like birds. They never see light. And on door and bolt, the dust lies thick. When I entered that house, I looked, and around me were piles of crowns. That's the piece I really saw, piles of crowns. I saw mm. proud kings who had ruled the land, who had set out roast meat before the gods and offered cool water and cakes for the dead. I saw high priests and acolytes squatting, exorcists and prophets, the ecstatic and the dull. I saw Etana, the primeval king, Sumaquan, the wild animal's god, and Erishkagal, the somber queen of the underworld. Belitseri, her scribe, was kneeling before her, reading from the tablet on which each mortal's death is inscribed. So there's similarities there. When the queen saw me, she glared and said, who has brought this new resident here? Right, like, I understand those pieces, but I didn't, the pile of crowns. Yeah. Right. And that feather, it says when the beast touched him, his arms get covered with feathers. And then they, feathers. And then when he gets down there, they all have feathered garments, which was interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it's kind of, I'll, like, with feathers, you should be able to fly away, but you're not getting out of this. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Once you enter, you never return to the sweet earth again. And they're covered in feathers where they, they can't fly away. I think the pile of crowns, was a new image like that that was a definitely a new okay. image for me of Hades too but I think it I think my brain just made it um interpreted that as like the whatever crowns they came in with were are, are worthless right and so there's just there's just this pile of these discarded crowns right um and my Christian head can go there as well but well that's where I was making the connection to the other pagan underworld images of like I think of like Achilles, like it's not worth it. Telling Odysseus it's not worth it, right? The glory and the honor is not worth it because it, it's 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 barely meaningful down here. You know, it's we're shades. Um, this is this pales in their version of Haiti that or their vision of that. It, it pales in comparison to walking live on the earth and being able to smell the beautiful things and see the beautiful things and hear the beautiful things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that my, my mind was just kind of completing those things, but that, but that image of crowns is a very specific one, right? That, that mm-hmm. uh, talking about Kings really and Queens that are lost that glory in yeah. the underworld. Mm-hmm. He's clearly saying something about that. Everybody goes there too. Like it's not, it's not like it can be avoided by setting out roast meat before the gods or um, mm-hmm. offering cool water and cakes for the dead or by being a priest or an acolyte or a prophet or an exorcist or any of those things, right? Like everybody goes, everybody goes to the underworld. And when you get there, you're all kind of equal. It's, it's a democracy down there, man. There's not, nothing. The crowns aren't special, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're still they're still distinguishable. Apparently, like he can tell yeah. that guy was an exorcist, that guy was a priest, that guy was an acolyte, that guy was a king. But there's a there's a uh, democratizing of everything there, and so whatever whatever uh, whatever glory or honor you have here doesn't necessarily come with you in the same way. But also, it can't be avoided. So, yeah, I love how we go from kings, queens, priests, acolytes, exorcists, prophets to and the ecstatic and the dull. <laughs> They're really happy people and the meh, everybody. <laughs> Did everybody play a role in some way in their society that incorporated those other roles? Like it's just interesting. I don't, ecstatic usually meant usually means something like an ecstatic person is somebody who is uh speaking from the gods. Like is being prevented. Oh, the ecstasy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So we're still connected in those ways. So what's a dull person? I don't know. Somebody not under not. The, in a state of ecstasy. Yeah. Okay. I if the ecstatic is another way of talking about poets. Oh, because the they're poets. of the muses, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the queen of Hades is a queen. The god of Hades is a queen. Oh, yeah. We now know that part of the pecking order. Although we don't know who's the highest and if they're you know, ranked. They say Anu the father. So I think he's the top. Like He's the Zeus character, I guess. But um, after that, it's, it's all a mishmash. I mean, he has a wife, but... Yeah. What did y'all think about... Um, his curses, like after the, because they'll talk about the dreams. He curses the shepherd who found him. Yeah. And then he curses the priestess who humanized him. Yeah. But, and Shamash chastises him for that, but only for the priestess, not for the, I mean, she's his priest, and she's Shamash's priestess, I guess, but uh, I don't know. I thought that was, and, he, and then he changes his tune and he blesses her. We'll bless you now. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that he cursed everybody that led him to the place where he is, except Gilgamesh. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Right. Gilgamesh is the only one who's actually at fault for this. I mean, who, who is culpable in any way, right? Like the trapper didn't send him to go kill Humbaba or do any, you know, cause him to have to face off with Ishtar. The priestess, Shamash, she didn't have, she didn't have anything to do with that. In fact, didn't Gilgamesh tell the shepherd, tell the 
trapper to go get the priestess and go find this guy in the woods. Yeah. So he sent him out there to begin with. Sent both of them out there. To, Gilgamesh sent both of them out That's to get him to begin with. The priestess out there. Yeah. Right. But the, the shepherd the, comes. The shepherd's father tells him, "Go talk to Gilgamesh and find out what to do about this this beast man you've seen." Yeah. And Gilgamesh's advice is, "Get the priestess and take her out there." Mm. And so. Well, and at the end here, uh, you know, when he he's refuting the curse, he says, "But." Wasn't it Shamat who gave you fine bread fit for a god and fine beer fit for a king who clothed you in a glorious robe and gave you splendid Gilgamesh as your intimate friend? Yeah. So while he doesn't curse Gilgamesh, those were her gifts to him. Right. And he will lay you down on a bed of honor. Oh, yeah. He will put you on a royal beer. On his left, so there you're gonna die, yeah. but you're gonna die in, in glory, glory because because of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Place your statue, yeah, in an important place. He'll he'll mourn you. Oric, huh. the whole the whole people of Oric is gonna mourn him. Yeah, and when you're gone, he will roam the wilderness with matted hair and a lion skin. He's the one that's gonna lose glory. Um. In fact, that was the that was the curse of Humbaba, right? Humbaba says, "Yeah, um, I curse you both." Page one twenty seven. I curse you both because you have done this. May Enkidu die. May he die in great pain. May Gilgamesh be inconsolable. Mm-hmm. May his merciless heart be crushed with grief. That's and then and then, and then Shamash. Basically says, yeah, all that's going to happen. That's interesting because you talked about the end of the previous book, book six, how kind of rude the song is. They kind of sing at the and He says, who is the handsomest of men? Who is the bravest of heroes? Gilgamesh, he is the handsomest of men. Indiku, he is the bravest of heroes. So Indiku's li- listed as the bravest of hero- heroes, right? And he's the one that's going to be that's going to die like be honored and Gilgamesh is the handsomest of men, but he's going to end up with matted hair and a line. Like he's kind of got this, pretty boy. Uh, he's kind of got this uh prophet in the wilderness thing. He's going to, he's going to go from being the pretty boy King to being like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not the exact same. It's not camel hair, but it kind of was like the uh, image of John the Baptist, right? The camel hair. and You're a locust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, He's going to end up looking like the wild man that Indiku was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So the thing they the thing they boast uh, about, handsome and brave, they get the punishment that suits that fits that. And and then they end that song, and she has no one to avenge her. Mm, but the now street, they yeah. don't. Yeah. Now they're not going to either. Right? Gilgamesh will have no one to avenge him, and Enkidu. There's no one to avenge Enkidu with because what are you going to do? Kill the gods? Right. Mm, right. Right. Would he kill the illness? Oh, yeah. but that's. He was sick for 12 days. And I thought, okay, well, we're tossing out another, another specific number. Yeah. And and our translation at least goes specific to say, you know, for 12 long days, he was deathly sick. He lay in his bed in agony, unable to rest. That's one of the main desires of all humans is rest. 
you know, true rest. Um, and every day he grew worse. Dude, book seven is sad. Yeah. Just, I mean, when in the dream, Enkidu says, I cried out, Gilgamesh, save me, save me. But you didn't save me. You were afraid and you didn't come. And then book seven ends. Have you abandoned me now, dear friend? You told me that you would come to help me when I was afraid, but I cannot see you. You have not come to fight off this danger. Yet weren't we to remain forever inseparable, you and I? When he heard the death rattle, Gilgamesh moaned like a dove. His face grew dark. Beloved, wait, don't leave me. Dearest of men, don't die. Don't let them take you from me. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, and even that moan like a dove is a... It's a it's a weak moan, right? Like that's a, a like the morning dove's morning sound is um it's faint almost. It's not like a it's not like a manly groan of mourning, right? That they're describing there. It's like this kind of strengthless. Yeah, yeah. I was like, his strength began failing. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, on that depressing note. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Andrea was right. You had to die. But she was wrong. Oh. She said he was going to die in the fight with with Humbaba. 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 Yeah. I mean, but that's a very precise detail to like. That's fine. To, nail, to nail down. Yeah. I'll take it. Right. Okay. Well, we have been going for about an hour. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, okay. I really, really want to read what's next. Like, I'm like, so I know. excited to read I know. the next part, but final thoughts, final thoughts on books five through seven things we don't want to miss talking about. Yeah. I I want to go back and relook at them and probably even from the beginning, because there were a lot of references to remembering that I picked up like partway through the reading. Okay. So um, one of them is in his art, his discussion with Ishtar. He says, um, which of your husbands did you love forever? Which could satisfy your endless desires? Let me remind you. And then, um, <laughs> and then there's a, there's some, there's a few more mostly connected with, Gilgamesh in, in, in Enkidu, but right there at the end, the next to last page of book seven, then Enkidu said to Gilgamesh, you have walked, be, you who have walked beside me steadfast through, steadfast through so many dangers, remember me. Never forget what I have endured. There's a, um, there's an interesting, there's an interesting, something going on interesting with remembering um, that is I don't know what I what what point to make about this other than that it's everywhere like read Dante's Inferno every single person almost every person he encounters asks them mm. asks him to remember them um Coco great movie the Disney movie right um, <laughs> the Disney movie it's all, the main song remember readers me. you didn't see the puzzled look on my face yeah <laughs> um there seems to be a need a very deep human longing to mm-hmm. be 
remembered and to remember mm-hmm. that um, that we're pretty bad at maybe today culturally. I mean, yeah. we, don't, we don't want to remember anything about the past. We just yeah. want to progress into the future. But memory's huge. Yeah. In the and I think it might be pretty bigger in this story than I realized in earlier readings. Mm-hmm. It didn't jump out at me until this mm-hmm. some part right through this passage, this section of reading five through seven. Yeah, the only mm-hmm. ahead, the only way it jumped out to me was was in the in the uh, glory sense. You know, I wrote Achilles out in my margin a couple of times. Where it sounds like Achilles to me. Uh, mm-hmm. We make a lasting name for ourselves, but you're catching a different, a whole different section of it, right? Where it's more intimate remembering. Um, that's good because both those things are at play there, and obviously, like you said, both are part of human nature. I was going to add a side note to that. I, I feel like this translator in particular uses very few words mm-hmm. and repeats them purposefully in a, in a pattern, right? Very much so. Um, and so, yeah, for you to catch that, it's not it's not an accident. Okay. Well, now I got to look for memory stuff on the next in the next part. Next part. Well, thank y'all for both being here again this week. This was fun. Uh, looking forward to seeing y'all later this week um thank all of you for listening uh for pulling it down for getting through the passages that are a little bit more uh squeamish maybe in this section too um and and joining us on this this episode of everybody classics uh next week we'll be discussing i think it's um eight through ten maybe uh yeah eight through ten so hope you'll join us again for that uh, as always, you can send your questions or comments to podcast at circeinstitute.org. Um, you can also check out the conversation on circle.circe.so. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network. 